0: The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 1, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man under the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Skip down with me if you would please to verse number 8. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershethah, And Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God, mourn not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Brother Berlucci, would you ask God to bless the preaching, please? Lord, sure is a good day to be in church, and I appreciate you keeping these doors open for us, Father. Thank you for the day that you've already given us, the song service, and 15 for what's about to take place right here. Father, I pray that we could be attended to the words of the holy book that you've given us, and that we could get something out of this, Lord. I pray that our hearts would be hard to the message, Lord, that our ears could be open, and that you'd right now prepare us. We've all got different needs in here and um, each and every one of us could use some help. So we're asking that you come in and minister to us through our past. And Father, bless them, fill them up, give them strength, give them wisdom. Uh, have them preach to us as you see fit. Father, be with the folks downstairs in Sunday school, nursery, and, well, nursery workers and everything that's going on here, Father. We ask that you put your hand of protection on us and uh, Lord feed us as you see fit, Father. We ask you uh, that you bless this time now. will pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. If you would please look at verse number 4, it says, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. Found it kind of interesting that he says they made a pulpit. You, you, You know already what that got my mind doing, don't you? Got me thinking about the purpose of the pulpit. That's a good thought. It's been coming up here recently in the preaching and, and, and more and more often. That and I think it really is God. I, I do not believe that it's just kind of some hobby horse that I'm on. The Lord, the Holy Spirit has been nudging me this direction. And then we come to this passage and here it is, an entire passage on the purpose of the pulpit. That's what I got from reading this thing and that's what I want to show you this morning. I want to back up just a second here and say, listen... People nowadays, this is going to be repetitive, so forgive me. People nowadays have no idea what church is actually all about. Especially in the United States of America. I am so tired of people not understanding what the purpose of church is. I believe you got a pretty good grip on it because we haven't tried to give you anything else other than what I believe Almighty God would have for us to give you. We have not built this ministry based on programs. This ministry has not been built based on you. That sounds terrible, right? But please stay with me, okay? Don't write me off. This ministry has not been built based on me. I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of things that I'd like to do. I spent at least eight years of my ministry, probably closer to ten years of my ministry, trying to make the thing look like I wanted it to look in, in little ways. When I finally began to realize, listen, that doesn't work. Because I don't know. That sounds like my voice. I'm talking about a double portion of the Spirit there this morning. And I hate that voice. That's how I knew it was mine. I've begun to realize that even if I could make the church look like I want it to look, I don't know what I'm doing. Now, if you want an excuse to just leave the church, that the preacher doesn't know, he said he doesn't know what he's doing. When it comes to spiritual things, I realize that I don't know what's best for me, let alone what every individual one of you actually needs. You ever, parents that have raised teenagers, have you ever listened to somebody that's never raised teenagers talk about teenagers? It's like, that's cute. (laughs) Have you ever seen them be infatuated with teenagers, everybody else's teenagers? It's a little annoying, right? You don't have a clue what somebody else needs to do or should do or shouldn't do when you've never been there. That's the point I'm trying to make. Nobody's messing with my kids, so this isn't personal. That's the point I'm trying to make. So how in the world can one man get in a pulpit and start preaching the Word of God and help people that are this big when they'll hear with understanding, like the text says? And people that are as old as Miss Fox or Mrs. Ferguson, who will both tell you that God's used this church to help them. Even if I could, even if I was 95 and the second oldest person in the church was 93, so I've been here longer than them and I have more experience. How could I possibly live everybody's individual lives with the circumstances, the details, the issues, the problems, the where you've been and the how things have worked out and the personality things and all the rest of that stuff? How is it possible for one man to be able to give you counsel and give you advice and and, and get right into the details of your life and the details of your business and the details of your mind and the details of your heart in your business? And give you the right advice every single time that will not fail you, will not mess you up, will not lead you astray, and will protect you from what the devil wants to do to your life, and the devil wants to do to your home, and the devil wants to do to your heart. Hey, listen, it's not possible for a man to do that. But God has something set up to help every one of you and read your business and direct your life. And he does it through a pulpit the most important thing you can look for when you're looking for a church is, is the word of God being preached in that church? Period. I think this. I think I can get to be a good enough salesman, politician, manipulator, to get a certain amount of people to like me I can be smart enough by study and by experience or by giftedness or whatever it is. I can be smart enough to figure out how to like weasel my way through people relationships and make sure that I shake every hand and look them in the eye and memorize all the names and know all the kids and memorize all their birthdays and make sure. I mean, when mama comes up, it's not say hi to mama. You want to know how to really make friends? Say hi to her baby first. Ohio, and just know every little name, and know their little birthdays, and remember, remember all the little stories, to make sure that you grow a business, to make sure that you're a good quote unquote pastor. It's possible for a man to do that, to manipulate people into liking church, to manipulate people into liking him. But listen to me; it doesn't matter how much you like the man, if he's not giving you the Bible, he don't love your soul. He loves himself, and he's got ulterior motives. How do you assess the situation? How do you know this is where God wants me? How do you know the purpose of church? This is the church I'm supposed to join. We got some people that are planning on joining after church today. So I told them, listen, I've done this over the years. I say that so you don't take it personal. When, it gets, when I get done preaching where my brain is at, I forget that you're supposed to join the church. Please remind, wave your hand at me and remind me, okay? Because listen, you know what that, you know what that is? That is like really, really, really bad. Pastorally speaking, you don't—you're like, what's he talking about? That's bad. That's—that's that's like not the way to build a church. That's a bad pastor trait, humanly speaking. You wanted to join the—that should be like a special thing. It's a very special thing to me. It means a lot to me when somebody says, "This is where God Almighty wants me and wants my family, and you're my pastor, and this is my church family." I've been here long enough to evaluate it, and I really believe God. That means a lot to me, and I forget to say. Somebody's joining the church this morning. That's bad, ain't it? You know, somebody was coming up to me the other day. He was talking to me. We were having a great conversation. And somebody else was, was waiting for me. But my wife was talking to somebody else. So I didn't want to interrupt her conversation because somebody was waiting, asked an appointment to speak to us. So I'm talking to somebody else. And then when she got done, I said, okay, I got I to gotta go. I said, you know, just been waiting on her, killing time. <laughs> he said, Oh. I thought we were having a great conversation. I didn't know you were using me to kill time. Bad pastor trait. You understand what I'm saying? Not That's like a no-go, like stupid. Go back to the big box Bible college and get a little bit of what they had to offer. You understand what I mean? But those people are still in church. You know why? Obviously, they're here for something besides my pastoral skills. There is something more important than programs, pastoral skills, friends, and whether or not everybody likes you and whether or not you were or weren't offended at some point or another. What is the purpose of church? What's the purpose of the pulpit? Nowadays, you just, people just don't know, but the Bible shows us. Notice something quickly. I'm going to bump, bump a couple things in introduction here and then get into my three points. Notice number one, there's unity supposed to be there in verse number one. All the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the Watergate. They were before the Watergate. You know what the water does? It cleans you up. You know what the water does? It de- it rehydrates you when you've been dehydrated. That's a great place to be meeting where you know you're going to get the water of the Word of God. And they gathered together. It says as one man. There was unity in that place. There wasn't a bunch of divisiveness and quarrelling and bickering. And well, I want this program and I think we should start this ministry. I think we should be doing this and I think we should be doing that. Hey, listen, I've been there and done that already. Do you understand what I'm saying? I have started more ministries than I myself could keep up with and every one of them wound up failing and I'm realizing in my ministry as time goes on that God begins moving and God's hand begins to be on things and when God brings that thing in there, it moves with smoothness, the devil attacks it, the resistance comes, all that stuff we've been preaching about is all there but you know it's God. Because it wasn't me doing it. And I am telling you this, for those of you that, there's, there's a lot of you, okay? So don't be like, oh, you see, he was preaching at me. There's a lot of you that are like, hey, I want to do more. I am telling you, I know more things. Like, like, I'm not saying, like I have a feeling and I'm prophesying. I know more details. I know more facts than, you, than I tell you that I know. And I am telling you Soon, God is going to give us more opportunities to do more things. Unless he shuts some doors. I am telling you, God, when he sees that that group of people is unified, and that group of people has grown, and that group of people is ready, and that they need to be doing something more, they've matured spiritually, and they can move as one man to do a job, then God will give them an opportunity. We got churches full of a bunch of chiefs, but nobody wants to be an Indian. Everybody wants to be a servant leader, but nobody wants to just be a servant. Nobody wants to be the Mike Elliott that for years sits in the background and gets up and says, Well, Brother Joe asked me to preach. <laughs> he was a chief in the Navy. You understand what I'm saying? You guys know sailors? Okay, and for years he sits in the background and the ladies says, we're running out of buns, I don't know, okay, he goes and gets the buns and he comes out, and that's what he does all week. No wonder God's blessing Anchor Baptist Church Youth Camp. Something's been going on, it's, it's a movement that God's in, but nobody likes to look at it and say, oh, so fancy, so I'm the youth Everybody's just kind of working together as one man because God's doing something and their leaders set that example for them and that's why God's doing something. Unity. What was their purpose in coming together? When they gathered themselves together, they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. You know what the people said when they gathered together? Give us the book. You know why God shows up in this passage? Do you know why the people wind up getting revived and blessed to God? Because they came there for the right reasons. They understood the purpose of the pulpit. And they got together saying, listen, hey, Ezra. And notice in the next verse, and Nehemiah stepped up and said, I've been the one building the walls, and I've been the one building the gates. And where have you been for a decade, Ezra? Let me do the preaching. You don't see that, do you? See, that kind of stuff hits me when I'm reading my Bible. Because we're in the book of Nehemiah. How come Ezra's the one doing the preaching? Nehemiah's been doing all the work here recently. No wonder God shows up to this bunch of people, man. They got some leaders that know how to lead and know how to step back and follow they got some leaders that know how to how to how to get a hold of God, how to see what needs to be done. And they got a bunch of people there that said, you know what? You're right, man. We do need to rebuild these walls. You're right, man. That's, that's it. That's right. You're right. God, hey, listen, we're in a time of declension. We're in a time of judgment. There's a cause here. It's not going to go easy. We're going to stand up when the devil pushes back, when things don't go well, when resistance comes, when our hearts get broken, when we're full of fear, when it's not going our way. We're not going to stop because the work that God called you to do, Nehemiah, is the work of God and if you're going to do it we're going to do it as one man the right way no wonders God shows up in Nehemiah chapter number 8 and everybody gets a blessing folks what we're doing today is not something a man set up God did this it doesn't make sense if you're doing it God's way it doesn't make sense that you ask a bunch of people on their day off to gather together somewhere get up get ready get the kids out the door Come sit down, get told from a Bible what a holy God has to say about sinful men. That's not going to go good very often. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Not very often are you going to walk into church and go, everything this morning was all 100% blessing, and I felt no conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. That's just not likely to happen if God's really there. And then on top of that, you say, and what we're doing here can't go on if you don't support it. It's not about the money. I know it's not about the money, but it can't go on if you don't support it. So, But there's no fee. Buildings don't get built that way. That's not a good business plan. God has to be in something like that. And a bunch of people have to say, hey, there's value in what we're doing here. Give us the book. And when the people got that purpose, things start happening, man. God Almighty is pleased with people that want to hear from Him. Notice in verse number 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. The purpose of the pulpit is to open up the Word of God. In verse number 6, Ezra blessed the Lord. And all the people there say in verse number 6, Amen and Amen with lifting up their hands and bowed heads. And they worship God with their faces to the ground. The worship is connected to the hearing the words of God. Nowadays they do the praise and worship stuff. Worship is connected to hearing the words of God, to offering a sacrifice to God, to bowing and humbling yourself before God. That is worship. And when God sees a people with a heart like that, God will move and speak to those people and help those people out. Notice more. Look at verse number 9. Nehemiah, which is the Tershethah, and Ezra the scribe, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people. Said unto all, unto all the people, this day is holy. You know what the purpose of being here is? It's to teach the people. You know what the pulpit is here for? To teach you. To give you the word of God. To help you. I already made the point that a man can't possibly have the amount of experience and knowledge to be able to get into everybody's business and help everybody. But the Bible has it. And God's people can get taught when the pulpit of God is being used the way God would have the pulpit to be used. It teaches them. Look at verse number 10. He said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord, neither be ye sorry. You know why he had to tell them that? Because the pulpit brought repentance. You know what the purpose of the pulpit is? It's to bring repentance in your life. you know why you need repentance? Because you're sold under sin. Naturally, in your human nature, there's not a person in this room that doesn't naturally mess up. Right. Keep back also thy servant from presumptuous sins. Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Naturally, Mike Reagan is inclined to go the wrong direction Every single time. You know what preaching has done for me throughout my life? It's exposed to me that I'm going the wrong way and turned me around. That's the purpose. Notice, there's preparation associated with the pulpit. You know why a lot of people get nothing out of church? There's no preparation time. Look back at Ezra chapter number 7. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Ezra chapter number 7. I'm not only talking about the preacher's preparation. And there's a tremendous amount of that. But your preparation. The hearer's preparation. In Ezra chapter number 7, look at verse number 9. The Bible says, For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. Why was the good hand of God on him? There was a work that needed to be done. Now watch why God picked him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. You know what Ezra had been doing long before, back to Nehemiah chapter number 8, long before we land in Nehemiah chapter number 8? Over a decade's past. You know what he did a long time ago? He prepared his heart to seek the words of God and to get to know that Bible and to understand God. And what he was doing was not just preparing his heart to get the Bible in his brain. He said, I want to learn that book and know that book because I want to live that book. It is my desire that the word of God be in me like a fire shut up in my book. I want it to seep out my pores. I want it to come out my mouth. I want it to be in my eyes and in my mind. I want my life." My mindset, my psyche, conform to Almighty God into His image. I want that Bible. I want to know it. I want to live it. I beg God, hopelessly, pathetically, ridiculously. I beg God to give me wisdom, because I'm a fool. In Mike Reagan's nature, I'm a fool. All I could do is, I don't know, kill, steal, destroy. I could blow stuff up real good. I've always preferred demolition to construction. I'm not kidding. If you can laugh, it's fine. Go ahead and laugh at me, but it is absolutely the truth. Demolition is a lot of fun. Construction, you got to step back. I got to build that pulpit. Thank God for COVID. That was going on in my garage. I've never done anything like that in my life, and don't look too close. And don't point out the flaws. You're going to hurt my feelings, okay? That took a lot of pre-planning and evaluating and errors and redoing and forced me to try some finesse. Mitering those edges was a stinking pain because I'm a roughneck and I'm all jittery and stuff. And I had, You know how many I had to throw away? Get all the way down to the end right here, and then... Construction's not easy. My nature doesn't even go with it. But God called me to do something. Because God chooses weak things, because God chooses base things, because God likes to pick the least likely to succeed and then say, that's what I want you to do. And you're like, "Uh no, you got the wrong guy. And God says, no, I want you to do that. Yeah, but I'm the wrong guy. Yeah, I know. That's why I want you to do it. Because everybody isn't going to know, and whether they know or not, you're always going to know who it is that's doing it. I beg God for wisdom. I beg God to open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of his law. Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he sought out and set in order many proverbs. Proverbs. It says moreover. You know why it says moreover? Because the preacher's looking at life under the sun. He's looking at the way people act and the way things happen and, and how things turn out and don't turn out. And he just says vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What is the stinking point? It's all vain. I mean, couldn't you know, here you are, you're thinking you're getting somewhere and that's like one step forward, two steps back. And, and he's all, and God said moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still sought out and said in order many proverbs. He still tries to give the people good knowledge because that's how God works. But in order for God to use that pulpit the right way, there has to be preparation. In your preacher, you expect that from me. Can you be honest with me? Let me see your hand. Do you expect me to prepare? Wow, half of the church. Man, I can prepare like every other message and I can wing the rest. Amen. (laughs) I think you expect me to prepare. I think you come to the business meeting and we support our preacher and we vote in the budget, all, all budget and all that kind of stuff. And I think if you realized or, or thought or and realize that's the wrong word, if you thought, you know, a preacher just kind of gets up an hour before church on Sunday morning and just slaps an outline together, or prints something out offline and just walks in and wings it. I think you'd be pretty upset about that, wouldn't you? You'd have a right to be upset. Why should I expect you to come if I haven't prepared myself before you got here? If I don't take what I'm doing as serious as a heart attack, why should you be here? Can I turn it around? I take it as serious as a heart attack. I pray for you. I study. I ask God to help me learn in a limited amount of time how to tweak those messages and get them better, and I'm really working on trying to grow as a preacher. You know what I would really appreciate? I'd appreciate God moving when I preach. Do you realize whether God moves or not, if I'm obeying God and I did my part, I'm getting all the treasure in heaven that I need, that He wants to give me, that me and Him are good, and I can have perfect peace between me and God, and be full of joy and enjoying what I'm doing. Even if God doesn't help anybody with the message, if I did my part, does that make sense? You know what I'd love to see? I would love to see God Almighty help every last one of you. You know what it takes for the pulpit to be effective? Preparation in your heart. Before you come to church, do you ask God to open your eyes that you can behold some wondrous things out of his law? Before you walk in here on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, do you ask God to give the preacher wisdom and direction and show him in that passage what it is we need at this time from that passage? The heart was prepared. The people have been doing all the work, right? They've already been taking care of everything that needed to be taken care of. And now we end chapter number 7. Do you know the next chapter is actually chapter 11? Chapter 8, 9, 10 is a parenthetical portion of Scripture. That's interesting because God writes that way and you'll see it when we get to the book of Revelation. The author is using John at 90 AD to write the same style that he's using back here in the book of Nehemiah. That's a miraculous book in your lap. I'm talking about they're worlds apart and they're writing with the same kind of a style but a different feel because it's different. It's an amazing book in your lap. You're in a parenthetical chapter. God, they've been doing this work and God says, I need to show you something right now. These people weren't all about the work. They actually wanted to hear from me. And nowadays, modern church has that completely backwards. Do you know what it is? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's a sales pitch. People like to feel spiritual. People like to feel needed. People like to feel important. Well, I really want to go to that church, but there's nothing for me to do. I've had young preacher boys, which I kind of, I don't like the term, and if a guy's 30 years old, my preacher boy is like, you ain't old enough to have a boy, okay, so let's not be weird, but I've had young preacher boys, you know. Well, I, there's just other guys here that are called to preach, there's just nothing for me to do. <laughs> you ain't getting it, man. You are not getting it. There's a preparation time before you're ready to be in the pulpit, before you're ready to be in a ministry. You're not ready to teach other people and officially have a position if you've not first sat down and been taught. You've got to apply your hind end to the seat for hours and hours and hours and hours. I already know this stuff. That's your problem. There's a preparation time for everything in life. And if God's going to do something with you, me, no matter where you're at in life, he's going to prepare you before you get there. But he won't prepare you if you aren't willing to prepare yourself. There's a preparation period. Ezra had been through it. The people had been through it. Nehemiah had been through it. And now that they're prepared, God's beginning to work and God's beginning to move. God has tested them. God has tried them. He's allowed issues to come up. He's allowed pressures to be there. He's allowed resistance to come. And they've stood the test of time and they've made up their mind what they're going to do and they've made it through those rough spots and now they're ready to hear from God. It takes time to be ready to hear from God. Especially, I say this compassionately, okay? Especially if you're in a church like this. You know what's funny? There's conversations going on this last week and and just about how hard the preaching was. Do you know what's not very common anymore, even among the Bible-believing crowd, is hard, straight, direct preaching? And you know what's funny? If your heart is prepared and you're really looking for the Bible, you go, "Man, that was good." Yes. But if your heart ain't prepared and it's it's hard and you think you know it all already and you think you've already earned it and you think you've got it all figured out and you I don't know and then the preaching comes at you like that, "Why are you yelling at me?" How come how come I mean there's over 100 people here this morning. Why is it that the vast majority of people walk out here, man, that was a blessing, man, I needed that, thank you. And you're sitting there, you heard the same message they heard, but to you, you're all ticked off. Are all the rest of these people crazy? You know what the devil tells you and some demonic people tell you? It's a cult. Hey, listen to me. Listen to me. Next time they say that, if the devil's using it in your head, then be honest enough to give me a chance. Look them right in the eyes and say, can you define a cult for me? What's a cult? Because you just threw out a term. You just made an accusation that instinctively people go, ooh, 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 You deceiving manipulator. You snake. Define a cult for me. Okay, once you've defined a cult, show me that that's a cult. Ain't it funny how Bible-believing preachers get that accusation all the time? And then you go to some of the biggest cults on the planet that are filthy rich and everybody sits there and drinks the blood and eats the body. Can you define a cult? Where's that at in your Bible? Oh, a man told you that. A man told you that and that's why you believe it. I don't care if six billion people believe a lie. It is still a lie. But (laughs) I, I, I don't like the way he talks. It's a preparation of the heart. That's the problem. These people's hearts are prepared. They've had enough of Babylon. They've had enough of the destruction. They've had enough of the depression. They're tired of seeing what sin does. They've hit their limit. And now they want God. They see the walls up. The temple worship has been rebuilt. And they're recognizing, listen, we need something from God. And their hearts are prepared. And God is about to move because they want the truth even if it cuts them. And that's the key. Because the truth cuts. You fellas can't tell me you've sat here for six months or more and not at some point been embarrassed in front of your wife. Man, it gets quiet sometimes. You ladies cannot tell me that you haven't sat here for six months or more and at some point thought, I sure hope he doesn't use that on me because you know you're guilty. Right? Cuts, don't it? Can I help you? There have been times that I've preached and got in the car and been like, yep, I need to practice my own preaching, don't I? And they all just smile and put their <laughs> Because that's the power of that book. And I love my Bible. Because I am trying to tell you That when the truth is given to me, if I have a heart for truth, then I love the truth more than I love me. And I love the truth more than her and more than them four girls. And I love the truth more than I love you. And what we all need is something from God. We need God's help. And the heart has to be prepared or your human heart can't take it because it hurts your pride, rubs your ego the wrong way, and it demands a change. Number two, preparation for the preaching, but the actual preaching itself. Notice in verse number two, Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding. See it? Look at verse number eight. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. You know what the pulpit's supposed to do? The preaching from the pulpit? This pulpit is not intended to be a self-help lecture desk. This pulpit is not intended to try to make everybody feel better every time you come to church. Listen, if I wanted to do that, I could. I'm not the smartest person, but I'm not the dumbest either. I got forced into sales by God because I needed to change some things, and that was the only way God was going to teach me how to talk to people. You understand, I don't always, I'm starting to, I think I'm getting a little more of a social IQ in the way I present myself, but I haven't always realized how I come across. I'm just, yeah, I'm just this is real to me. God put me into sales to start teaching me some things, and I'm still learning from it. And shocker of all shockers, I was actually very good at it. I, it was, I think it's because I outworked everybody else, but I, I, I'm not too stupid. I know how to self-help you. I know how to manipulate you. That's not what God put a pulpit here for. When God puts a pulpit there and God gives his words to his man, he expects his man to give them his words whether they like it or not. And make it clear. Make it distinct. You're going to leave knowing exactly what I was saying. Why? Because I got to do it God's way. What does he do? He gives them understanding. Why do you got to be like that? If you don't preach the way I preach nowadays. Do you know people don't listen? I'm not saying everybody has to do it my way. I'm just telling you what I've experienced. You got so much going on in your mind. And your mind is programmed to last that long. I don't know why he has to be so harsh. We're trying to be effective. We're not trying to be harsh. I want to be clear when I speak. I want to make sure that I'm giving you exactly what God has for you. I want to give you understanding of what God's saying to you. Well, you know, people get upset. Yeah, we know. We had somebody just get up and walk out two Wednesdays ago. I think it was two weeks ago, something like that. Guess what happened last week? I get a phone call, hey, guess what? My friend who got mad and walked out of church just called me, or just texted me or called me or whatever it was and told me she trusted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. Yeah. Well, that preacher, yeah, he woke her up. The Bible woke her up. She said, he was yelling at me. How do you guys put up with that? She said, we get used to it. She said, that ain't the preacher yelling at you. That's what we call conviction. Why? Because somebody reading your business. And what's going on is supernatural. And he's trying to help you. Because he loves you. And he wants to do something for you. The preaching, it brings understanding to the people. If they'll hear. Look at verse 13. On the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers and all the people, the priests and the Levites. Unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. You know what I noticed about that? People in a position of leadership said, listen, since I have people under me that I'm responsible for, oh, man, I was hoping we were just going to talk about preachers. No, this would apply to Sunday school teachers. There's an expectation in this church if you're going to teach Sunday school. There's an expectation. Say, oh, see, I knew once i get into the inner workings. that It's been like that from day one. Nothing's changed. If you're going to teach Sunday school, there's an expectation on your life. A little bit more than just the average person that even is a member that comes in and sits down. Why? Because you've got people looking up to you now. If you're going to get up here and sing, there's an expectation associated with that. If you're going to be a preacher, there's even more expectation associated with that. The leaders, are you a mama? You a daddy, you a grandma, you grandpa, you a big sister, big brother? You got people under you that look up to you? Then you have some kind of influence. Does it matter to you? Or are you just living your life for yourself all the time? Are you all that matters? The people in position of leadership said, I need to circle back on day two because I need some more. I really want to get a hold of that Bible. I need some more preaching. I need some more Bible. I need God to open it up to me a little more. I need to see what I'm doing and where my blind spots are because every last human being, kids, listen to me. Every human being, even your parents and your pastor, everybody has blind spots and failures and chinks in their armor. So if you're carnal and foolish and looking for a reason to be a punk, then that's all you're going to focus on is everything about your mom and dad that they've ever done wrong. You're the problem. And you're going to reap what you're sowing. Amen. I think I need to say it. I said it at youth camp. I'm going to say it again. And I'm careful when I say things like this, okay? Because a lot of times when there's divorce, kids blame themselves. And that's not right. But I will say this. I've watched kids become a part of or even create the problem. Now, mom and daddy, the responsibility is on you not to let them little brats come between you. Even if your spouse is handling it wrong. Is it illegal or immoral? Okay, then what's more important? Your family or this little squabble over your little baby's emotions? You're worried about the bit. well, he's just mistreating my children. Oh, oh, so you're going to let the devil get in there and cause problems between you and your husband and create a a division in the leadership and a division in the home that very realistically in five or ten years might wind up smashing their emotions. Don't give me that garbage. That's the devil. You kids ought not weasel in between your parents. Dad said no, so I'm going to go ask mom, because dad always says no, so I'm going to ask mom. Oh, mom's the heavy, so I'll always ask dad. Right. Well, mom said, well, dad said, do you see how he treats me? Boys are real good at it. You look at dad, and you, there's, there's a piece of your eyes that, men, we read it. You know what I mean? And dad, you know, what you looking at, Boy. You got it going on. And then he looks at mom, and those eyes go from that, it's just a stinking demon, you know, just a demon, just I'll kill you. And they look at mom, and it's a dove. You know what it it creates, folks? I'm just talking about life right now. This is just an illustration. Do you know what it creates? A lot of confusion, a lot of misjudgment, a ton of misunderstanding, a bunch of problems. And I'm here to tell you, if you got little kids, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. Why? Because as they get older, everything's changing, and how you always have dealt with it, you can't deal with it that, any, that way anymore, and you've got to have a little bit more wisdom, a little bit more understanding, a little more communication, but you don't want to go too far the other way, or too far on this side, and, and you've got to keep yourselves together, but you're both so busy, you've got so much going on, and so many other things that you've got to take care of, that are pressing on your time, that are important things that have to be taken care of, and then there's kids to take care of, and life to take care of, and details to take care of, but then you've got to take care of you. You got to take care of each other. Some of you older folks could back me up a little bit. It gets worse, right? Oh, I can't wait till the kids are gone. Yeah, you didn't know empty nest syndrome was going to knock you half out of your mind. And, like, my whole life just changed. And now my problems, I wish they were back teenagers again. Because now they got even bigger problems. And they got marriages that are falling apart and children that. What I'm trying to tell you is you've got to circle back the second day. And you got to say, God, I need some more. I need your help. And a big piece of that equation that God puts in your life is a pulpit of wood. And you need to come in here and be faithful to get here and sit down with a heart prepared for the preaching of the Word of God so that God can read your business and God can give you help to get through what you're going through even when the preacher's never been there. But the God that wrote that book knows how to help you from that book that's why the priority here is the preaching of the word of God preaching is important nothing more important for your soul after you're saved than getting in this book and knowing this book and hearing from God out of this book preaching brings understanding to the people in verse 9 look at the end of the verse for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law that's bad no, it's not bad The purpose of the preaching is to bring repentance to your heart. You know, people tell me, I just, I've I've had people leave, say, you know, I just, I can't go there anymore. I just always feel bad when I leave. Well, okay. I mean, when I've heard that, can I, can I give you an inside scoop? I think I can give this to you now. I I think I'm all right doing this. Let me give you an inside scoop. When somebody says that to me, I stop and reevaluate. I know you probably don't think I'm that kind of guy, do you? When somebody says, I always feel like I'm getting beat up every time, I always feel bad when I leave, I stop and say, God, am I doing something wrong? You know, I have laid on the floor in my office and cried. I shouldn't tell you that stuff, should I? I've laid on my office and cried because I felt like, man, maybe I had a blind spot. Maybe I'm a little too fired up. I spend all my time getting stirred up and trying to stir up myself like the Bible says, stir up the gift of God that's in thee. And I try to stir myself up and I read my Bible. And I, when, I, when my preaching starts getting a little bit too, uh, getting dry, I go listen to a bunch of Brother Lynch's stuff even though I could probably quote almost every message word for word. And it stirs me up again. <laughs> I'm told to keep it stirred up. I ain't trying to be Mr. Heavy Heavy all the time. I don't want you to always leave here feeling beat up. But can I say if you always only feel beat up, maybe it's not the preaching. Maybe you just don't want to give in to the Word of God and turn it around. Because I heard some hard preaching this week. I'm talking about that was the preaching you'd have heard out of him 20 years ago, man. It was great. (laughs) And there's a whole bunch of kids going, man, I need that kind of preaching. Man, this was wonderful. Man, I felt like I was back in the old days, like back when you guys, the days you guys always talk about. Why is it one kid sits there and says that, and the next kid says, how come he's so hard on the boys this week? You're a little rebel. You need to get right with God, kid. The preacher loved me, he wouldn't talk to me like that. No, the preacher does love you, and that's exactly why he looks you in the eyes and says, you're a little rebel, and you need to get right with God. That man said nothing wrong. He shouldn't be using those kind of graphic illustrations. I mean, those kids, you hypocrite. You let them watch anything they want to watch, and you give them a smartphone with no restrictions. You are, you are lying about the issue. That man's testimonies and stories of what he saw in real time are not the problem. Amen. He's trying to help your kids. He's trying to keep my little girls from getting drunk or getting in a car with a boy who is drunk and watching me grieve at her casket. Amen. Thank you, preacher. Scare them all. Tell them about the bones crunching underneath the wheels of the garbage truck while he's standing there looking at it in the spring and he can hear the bones pop. Tell him about it! Not every service, right? But if you got a problem with that, if your kid had a problem with that, I found the problem. Preaching is supposed to cause you to stop and think. You should leave going, you know, honey, I think we might need to work on our relationship. You know, honey, God showed me some stuff and I'm going to humble myself because I love you and 20 more years together is way more important than me having this big strut and ego. You'd be shocked how much she'll love you and respect you and follow you once you're weak enough to say, I messed up and I'm sorry. A woman will follow a man when she knows that man can be led by the right sources because it makes her feel safe. But when a woman has to follow a maverick, and she had to for years because she got tremendous character and she did. But she knows when a woman has to follow a maverick, it's very unnerving. But you're the man, ain't you? You know more than a preacher and everybody else. Trying to help you. Preaching is supposed to bring repentance to your heart. They're weeping. Let me give you insight, parents. We're almost done. Let me give you a little bit of insight about this. Esau sought a place of repentance carefully with tears. And God said, I hate him. They were crocodile tears. The problem with Esau's repentance is he was not sorry. Follow this. He was not sorry for what he was. He was sorry for what he had done. Because what he had done caught up with him, and he didn't want to have to pay for it. That's not repentance. Judas repented, and God said, not forgiving you. And he went straight to hell. You know why? Because he realized what he had done. Do you know if Judas had loved the Bible and been in church like you are, with a heart prepared to get the truth? He'd have known Zechariah, I believe it's eleven thirteen. And Zechariah eleven thirteen would have popped up into his mind at that situation. He said, "I'm not doing that because that's what that's what am I Judas?" He didn't know his Bible. He didn't care about it. He wasn't interested in his Bible. He hadn't been hearing the preaching. Judas did it. Esau did it. Achan did it. You know, I read in my Bible this morning in the Book of Judges. Israel turns and repents once they wind up in trouble, and God says, "I'm not forgiving you. I'm done with you. I've saved you seven times." And you keep doing this, and I'm done with you. I will not forgive you. And the Bible says that when they repented, God felt sorry for them. And it says in the text, when they repented, they got rid of the idols. They got rid of all the stuff they weren't supposed to be doing. They kicked, God said, I'm not forgiving you. Dad, I'm sorry. No. That's not your wild get-out-of-jail-free card. You're still paying the price. If your kid pays the price with a good attitude, they meant it. When your kid goes, and when they're teenagers, they don't do quite like that, but they do the same thing. They're not done yet. She's really sorry. Know your Bible, Dad. Read your Bible, Mom. If you care about the kid, if you love the child, get to know that book. Listen. Get to know the Bible if you care about your own walk with Jesus Christ. And recognize repentance is that I am the man, like David said. I am guilty, like David said. God, please don't kill the baby. God said, I'm killing the baby. He said, okay, give me some food. What's wrong? Why is he now at the table? Because he's not mad at God. He knows he deserved it. And he repented. And God said, okay, now you don't die like the law says you have to for taking another man's wife and killing the man to cover it up. Right. But he said, Nathan said, thou art the man. And he said, oh, God in heaven, I'm the man, I'm the man. Oh, God, he's right. I'm so wicked. Not... I shouldn't have done it. I'm really sorry. I know what the law says, but isn't there a caveat somewhere in the law? Let me go get real spiritual now and know my Bible. You're supposed to forgive me. Preaching now, are you understanding what I'm saying? God deals in hearts, not manipulations. And the people repented, which brings us to my conclusion. The pulpit is meant for your peace. Preacher, you're spitting and stomping and snorting and your veins are popping in your neck like people tell me all the time. I'm wearing high collars and keep them on so you can't look at my veins. None of your stinking business, weirdo. The Pope was meant to bring you. That was a joke. It was, sounds terrible. Visitors, I apologize. I do love people, I promise. The Pope was intended to bring you peace. You say, What kind of peace am I getting from any of that? Peace with God. Look at their response when the people are like, Oh, no, we're, we're so messed up. Verse 10. He said unto them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Wait a minute, whoa, they were all messed up. Yeah, but if you go back later and you read the passage, one of the things they taught them from the law is that this feast of tabernacles that we're entering into You're supposed to be making booths and dwelling in booths all week long because it's an observance of when God brought you out of Egypt and had you in the wilderness and God provided for you throughout the wilderness and look at what God's done for you and you had to dwell in booths and now you're in the land and you got your wonderful houses so every once in a while now that God's really established you in building something with your life and the walls are up and the gates are up and the breaches are repaired and the temple worship is there and the temple, beautiful temple, we got so much that God's given us, we got a church family and we're not just a brand new church anymore, we're really, we're really getting some traction, I mean we'll get some answers for you exactly on the numbers Lord willing this week, we're going to be connecting to the sewer and, and that that means we're going to be positioned, Lord willing, to really break ground this coming spring. I mean, I know I've been talking about it a long time, but I think it's going to be happening. You understand what I'm trying to say? Now things are really going. And he said, you need to stop back, step back, and you remember once a year where you used to be. Not groveling in your past, remembering how God brought you out of your past and You used to be very insecure and still learning and wandering through the wilderness and and, and struggling and trying to grow and trying to figure it out and dwelling in booths. Go dwell in those booths for a week. And the children of Israel hadn't done it in years. And when the preacher started showing them, hey, listen, the contemporary way of doing things, this this isn't me just making an application. This is what was happening. The contemporary way that Israel is not by biblical way. So let's go back to the Bible. And they all went back to the Bible. Do you see what they showed? They showed repentance. They showed a desire for the Bible, like all the way back to where we started. They showed a desire for the Bible. They showed a preparation that I'll receive the word of God. We're going to do this God's way. And man, we're so I feel so guilty. Good, but don't stay there. Don't stay in the guilt. He said, neither be ye sorry. Do you know godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation not to be repented of? But the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know what he said? No, no, stop, 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 stop. Stop feeling bad. Have you done? me leave church. I feel terrible. I'm not worthy. Stop. You are worthy because of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that washed away your sin, and a heavenly Father, you God in heaven that ever liveth, sent His has a Son there to ever liveth to make intercession for you between Him and a holy Father. You are worthy if your heart really wants the truth if you really will turn and give God everything He asks and do it His way, then I am telling you, you can leave here this morning with joy. Why? Because I love the truth. I came prepared for the truth. God gave me the truth. I accepted the truth, even about me. And I'm fixing it. And then God says, okay, now stop feeling bad and start getting happy about how good God is. You don't know my past, preacher. I've messed everything up. And if I'd have got saved years ago, knock it off. That's the devil. And thank God for what he's done for you this morning. And thank him for loving you. And thank him for feeding you. And keep coming back to the Watergate, because that's what God put a pulpit in your life. Stand to our feet this morning. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you.